0: Dr. Barbara Byers and this is Voices of the Soul. Uh, To access my notes you can go to my website www.barbarabyers.com. Today we are going to be talking about something called the sense of being. Our soul should be full of life and should also give us a sense of who we are. It's what psychologists call a sense of being. Uh, To have a healthy sense of being is to have the voice I am, I am. To lack this sense of being and well-being is to speak from an incomplete or an insubstantial place in our soul. And this deficiency affects our whole soul, leaving us with an inner emptiness and a lack of identity and a lack of trust. So what is sense of being? To have a sense of being is to have a sense of fullness within, a sense of richness in my own personhood. It's the ability to truly say, I am and my personhood is good. It involves several things. A deep security of knowing who I am, that I have value and worth, that it is well with me even in difficulty, that I have the ability to trust, that I belong, that I have a place in the world, that I'm competent, and that I don't have shame in being myself. So. A person with a sense of being and well-being is free from undue fear and undue anxiety. Even when we have to wait to get our needs met, we have an expectation that our needs will be met. Our sense of being comes primarily from our childhood, that early bond with our mother. The way she handled our needs as a child shaped our life and it was supposed to shape our life. And what we learn in our relationship with our mother deeply affects every other area of our adult life now. So by God's design, what was mom supposed to give us? Well, there's several things. One is safety and security. That comes from mother. This comes when she's predictable, when she's consistent, when she herself is stable and free of danger her um, taking care of us in the middle of the night when we're scared, her picking us up and dusting us off and tending to our boo-boos, binding us when we're lost, holding our hand when we cross the street, all of those things a mother gives. And when she's safe, we feel safe. We have well-being. And when she isn't safe, we don't develop a sense of safety within. Instead, we have anxiety. The second thing mom is to give us is nurture. So she gives us nurture by hugs, by reassurances, by words, by eye contact, by smile and affirmation. And she just brings a replenishing and a satisfaction and contentment to our soul that gives us a sense of well being. Uh, when I was a child in the 50s, we lived in Scotland for a few years and I had to have a tonsillectomy. And at that time in Scotland, they put you in, it was called a nursing home. Uh, in a large room with a bunch of other children, and you had to tell your parents goodbye, and you didn't see them again for several days. That was so scary. I remember waking up longing for my mother. I was probably seven. Contrast that to when my own daughter had a a tonsillectomy, and when she awoke, I, I was right there touching her and soothing her as a mom should. The third thing a mom should give us is basic trust. When she responds to our needs, then trust is established. When she takes care of us, we know we can trust her. Um, Later on in our life, that trust enables us to trust others, we build on that. It, It enables us to reach out to others, to depend on others, and to see others as a source of good things, and even to trust the Lord, because when trust is disrupted, later relationships with other people and with the Lord can be very difficult. The fourth thing is mother is to give us belonging and invitation. And this sense of of belonging really anchors us deeply and makes us feel so secure. When she invites us into relationship with her through her love and care, it makes us feel wanted. And that transfers later into feelings of worth and confidence in relationships. So being invited in means you have a place at the table. You have your own bed. You have a place to study. You you can snuggle up with mom. She says, you can come in and I've made a place for you. It's what God does for us when he says, I've gone to prepare a place for you. And he roots us in himself. And without this, we may develop an orphan spirit. The fifth thing a mom is to give us is someone to love. We not only need to be loved, But but we need to love so we learn attachment and we learn that we can develop emotionally as we are not only invested in but as we give to others. We invest our love and reciprocity is an important part of our development. Uh, It sets us up for childhood and discourages us from developing too much selfishness. The sixth thing is mother validates our gender. So moms can validate their son's masculinity and sexuality. They affirm that their son is acceptable as a male. They can educate their son and their daughter about sexuality. And they can communicate to their daughters that being female is a very good thing and it's to be enjoyed. The seventh thing mother is to give us is successful weaning. A healthy mom helps her child become healthy and leave well at the appropriate time. As the child matures, the mother-child relationship should change. It's different in kindergarten than in college, right? Moms learn to let go if they're healthy, but they stay available to give connection and wisdom. Um, It's best when there's a healthy bond, they let go best, and the child Uh, is the healthiest, and in an unhealthy bond, we can experience a very disordered detachment. So if we have these seven elements for mother, we are probably gonna develop a sense of well-being. We're bonded to mother, we're grounded in her love, and it's essential for our inner well-being. We then learn how, because we take in this mothering, this good mothering, we learn how to regulate ourselves internally and this later enables us to have healthy bonds with others. So the critical need of these early years is a very strong and healthy bond with mother, sets the foundation for our adulthood. And God designed us to need this. We need this in order to have a healthy sense of being and well-being. Our union with her gives us our sense of being. Without it, we can have such injury to our souls, such a sense of abandonment. Where, when we're deeply attached to her, we feel I exist, and it's well, and this is this is good. Now, uh, a sense of well-being also depends on father's involvement and in his presence and nurture, and and to some degree on life's circumstances. But. Um, and the child feels safest when both are present. You know, I have mom and dad, they love each other, they love me, and there's a wholesomeness about it. So what happens if there's not a healthy bond? Well, we either have overbonding, which is a too too strong bond, or we have underbonding, which is too insubstantial. So Psalm 22, 9 and 10 says, You brought me safely from my mother's womb and led me to trust at my mother's breast. You have been my God from the moment I was born. You see that bond? Because of this, the enemy hates the mother-child bond, and he seeks to create enmity between the mother and child. He wants uh, to wound our bond with mother and skew it in some way, make it too thick or make it too thin. So in overbonding, there's an unhealthy enmeshment with mother. She may smother us, she may helicopter us, she may be so needy herself that she controls us in some way, or even be abusive. So the smothering mother suffocates us with too much involvement, which is really a form of control over the child. I remember one time, uh, one of my daughters was in fifth grade, and um, we were at an awards ceremony or something. And I knew the two mothers standing next to me, and their daughters were friends of my daughter. And one mother said to the other, uh, what did you make on that project? What did you make on the project? And the other mother told her it was some high grade, and, and then they exchanged that, and were laughing about it. And I thought, what? My daughter made the grade she made. I think I took her and got her some supplies for it, but it was her grade. I didn't need to helicopter around her, and I wanted to give her a sense of her own competency. You can do this. I'll help you if you want me to, but this isn't my grade. It's yours. So overbonding is presented as love, but it's actually control. And this mother can be manipulative and actually violate our own personhood and our boundaries. And when a child doesn't have a sense of his or her own well being, just of the mother's well being, um, the child is emotionally overwhelmed. Their boundaries have been violated. This mom is unwilling to release her children and, and can create very passive aggressive sons. A mom who's too strict, especially too religiously strict, Uh, can crush the spontaneity of the child's feelings and ideas. And so the real self of the child is stifled and doesn't have a chance to flourish and come up. Uh, The child may be raised to actually not feel their own feelings. All they feel is the feelings of the mother that filled the room. Uh, In fact, their own inner life, their own feelings and thoughts may seem very invalid to them. And as adults, later they can disqualify their own heart or be insecure about their thoughts and ideas and their own dreams and desires because they had very authoritative parents who thought they were always right. And they also may be entrapped in a sense of false guilt because they were trained to be responsible for the mother's emotions. And sometimes they end up trying to appease the adult parent rather than being able to stand up themselves as an adult and have their own feelings and choices and appropriately break free of their parents. In the orbit of a needy and hurting mother, the child feels and takes in her chaos and the needs of the child are forgotten. And this has sometimes been called the tyranny of the weak where the needy person really holds the power but doesn't seem to. There can be an an inversion of the roles. And so the child is trying to meet the emotional needs of the mother and she plays on the child's own loyalty and protectiveness to do this. And that's really akin to emotional incest. It is so boundary-violating. A child is never supposed to meet the needs of an adult in this way. It sets The scene for a child later on to get in all kind of codependent relationships and others who demand that their needs be met rather than the child or the adult being able to recognize their own needs as well. So fathers are important because they call out a child's identity. They enjoy the child. They give them approval. They champion them. They defend them. They call them up to the larger life. But when the father is absent from the home, sometimes a mother will step in to try to fill those gaps. Again, that can be a form of control, but she she cannot give what only a father can give in the masculine. And if she tries to substitute, um, something's gonna be askew there. And the sons can become very resentful or very feminized and suffer from gender identity confusion. An abusive mother sets up a scenario where the bond is too thick because of emotional trauma. It's a trauma bond, and the child is underbonded in affirmation and nurture, but overbonded in trauma or adversity. The abusive mother is distant, critical, disconnected, shaming, even physically violent sometimes. And the child receives all kind of messages from her, but especially you aren't valuable, you're bad, you'll be hurt, your needs won't be met. A mother's abuse can be sexual, physical, emotional, can be spiritual mishandling and exploitation. But the result is it leaves the child in the wrong role and they believe their role is to be a solution for mom's abuse. And it gives the child even a sort of a convoluted and a false sense of importance in the home. So, A child is never to be a container for mom's abuse so that the mother can somehow function because the child takes on these things. And sometimes the child so keeps hoping for change and that good things will come, they just keep on bonding with people similar to their mother hoping for a different outcome. So all of these scenarios I've just talked about create a sense of not safe, not safe, not safe within the child. Uh, The child may feel, end up with anger, destructive patterns of relating, negative thinking, even hypervigilance from some of the abuse. Um, They never feel at home within, so they grow up without this sense of being and without a sense of well-being. Mothers like these create such heart wounds, and there's a deep need for healing and freedom, and we're going to pray at the end of this video for that healing as adults when we begin to realize what we may have been involved in with our mother and there are no perfect mothers but we need to forgive and we have the grace of the Lord to be able to release them otherwise we can't move forward in our maturity until we release from them and release them we release our judgments against them and we ask the Lord to heal us and we ask him to appropriately separate us from mother and cut the bonds that are too thick or too thin. We come free of enmeshment, we come free of these things. Then we're free to learn and to grow and and to develop healthy boundaries and to find our own voice. The child becoming an adult comes into a different place. It's not a place of obedience, it's a place of honor so that they can honor their mother but respectfully set their own boundaries and live their own life. All right, let's talk about the other kind of mother where there's deprivation and separation and the bond is too insubstantial. That leaves us feeling so empty. When, there's, when the bond is fragile, when the bond is uncertain, it's, just like, it's like drinking from a very thin straw and trying to get nourishment up from that. You just can't get enough sustenance from it. The child's needs aren't met, and so they never develop a, a deep and secure sense of their own being. Often the issue here is neglect, which is a silent form of abuse. It's the mother's under-involvement or her lack of attunement to the child's heart. And the child doesn't feel secure in the love of the person, really, who's their primary existence for those early years. So a deep inner anxiety can form in the heart of a child that'll last their whole life. Mm. So without this sense of being and well-being developed, There's a profound and lasting injury to the soul. Dr. Frank Lake, a British psychiatrist wrote, this is the most terrible deprivation known to the mind of man, that of a mother's love withdrawn from a baby. Terrible deprivation. So he noted several causes for this. First, if a child is rejected by the birth mother, the child feels the separation. Um, If right at birth, the baby isn't able to bond with the mother. And I'm so glad that there has been so much development over the last several decades about uh, mother-child bonding. Things are very different in hospitals than they were 50 years ago. Uh, that then the, if, if they're not able to bond right away, they can come into the world feeling angry, deprived, rejected, abandoned, like they don't have a place in the world. Can they think that? No, cognitively but they know intuitively. And then as an adult, the heart can feel so orphaned, so hungry, so thirsty for love and acceptance. The second stage, according to Dr. Lake, is where there's prolonged separation from mother in the first two years of life. The process of this deprivation anxiety looks like first protest, then despair, then detachment. So when the mom doesn't come, uh, the baby will protest by crying. and. Normal babies do this all the time. They wake up from a nap, they want mom, they're hungry, they want mom, they're wet, they want mom, and so they cry. But if mom doesn't come, a baby is not able to process this separation. And if they don't come for a prolonged period of time, then the baby really begins to grieve the loss of mother. And in the grieving, when the mother doesn't come, the baby can lose hope and withdraw because they simply cannot sustain the separation anxiety they feel from mother, and so they can withdraw in despair and may, may even fail to thrive. That's where failure to thrive syndrome comes. When love comes at last, the baby may not even be able to finally connect and, and not even be able to respond so the next stage then is detachment where the baby doesn't respond positively to mom once she finally does come this stage can create actually a lot of sexual neuroses later on the child can have a gnawing sense of shame of emptiness of deprivation this elusive anxiety and the tension from the deprivation lodges in the baby's and the young child's genitals that's where the tension lodges well, what are they going to do? They're going to rub the genitals because it feels good, and they're going to clutch in order to relieve the anxiety. And it's not driven by lust; it's driven by anxiety that becomes physical. But later, um, as they develop in the teen and adult years, they may use this as anxiety relief. And they may also use food and alcohol and you know, sex, other things to assuage the anxiety. But Until the deprivation anxiety is healed, adults still feel it in the genital area and can develop into masturbation and sexual encounters of all kinds. So the tension collects from the sense of abandonment and then the adult gives into comfort. It can even develop into inordinate attachments of things and all sorts of things to fill those inner needs. Third, Dr. Lake says, the death of either parent during childhood is deep deprivation. I remember once I was watching a PBS special, this was some years ago, and they were interviewing a man in his 80s who had was in Coventry when Coventry was bombed during World War II. He was holding the hand of his mother on the street and she was instantly killed, I think by a, a falling stone from a bomb. And As he's telling this in his 80s, he begins to weep, remembering his mother and remembering what it felt like as an eight-year-old child trying to run for shelter. She died right in front of him. and, And you know, he felt you could feel that sense of deprivation of mother all those years later. Other deprivations include the absence of father or mother from the home for an extended period of time, the mental illness in either parent, but especially in the mother, and in emotionally wounded uh, parents. When there are any kind of traumatic circumstances surrounding a childhood, we call call those now ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, the child is deeply affected. Also, where there's neglect, even unintentional neglect, uh, um, or emotional, sexual, or physical abuse, and the child suffers from a lack of feeling safe, a lack of feeling secure and bonded, sometimes just more subtly. It's the inability of the mother to connect with the child, you know, maybe her own deprivations, and so she can't be gracious to the child and connect and attune the way the child needs. And if there is real violence, then the parent who should be so safe becomes the enemy. Other things that can cause deprivation anxiety, shaming in the family, ignorance, poverty, iniquity within the family illness in the child or parent divorce alcoholism drug use sometimes the parents are overworked and the kids just become latchkey kids are siblings where the child doesn't you know the siblings get attention and the child doesn't all these sorts of conditions leave the child feeling very needy so i remember my story is i was born in japan and I wasn't very old, and my father was sent to the Korean War. He'd been stationed in Japan. and So he'd been sent to the Korean War. My mother and two-year-old brother and I came, came back. It was a long journey, I'm sure, pretty arduous. We came back to Texas. She had to be put in the hospital, and I was left with my grandmother. I was I don't know, six, eight months old. I didn't know my grandparents. And later I was told that I just cried and cried and cried. No matter what anybody tried to do to rock me or help me, I just cried and cried and cried. Which helped me understand later a lot of the anxiety I had, the deprivation anxiety I had that the Lord has so graciously met me in and done a number of healings. But all that leaves an effect on the child. So. When we have loss of well-being, we can have shame, inferiority, emptiness, a sense of there won't be enough for me, an identification with emptiness and meaninglessness. And our deprivation can turn into all kinds of fears and anxieties and dread, negative thought patterns, addictions, deep loneliness, feeling incompetent, I think I said depression, being very sensitive to rejection, suspicion, paranoia, and even a dark fantasy life and a tendency to be too introspective. And um, children who are brought up in this find it difficult to, to hope that the void will ever be filled. And so there can be lots of difficulties with relationships. Even where someone loves them, they just can't ever quite receive that love and take it in. And so sometimes they'll connect in a homosexual way to try to get that needs met. There is hope to get free of a lifetime of deprivations. It is the awareness that Christ is in me. He has taken up his habitation in me. I am not alone and he fills me and gives me a sense of being, my true sense of being. His life flows in me and so it can be well with my soul. This means I know he's created me. I know I can be secure in because I can put my full weight of trust on him. He will never leave me, and he will never forsake me. So look how God bonds with us to give us our being. I'm reading from Ephesians 3 now. That according to the riches of his glory, he would strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's in your true self. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of God, the love of Christ, that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. To be filled with the fullness of God is to have your being and your well-being. So just let that wash over you, that your inner being is filled with his fullness. It's what Paul declared in Acts 17, in him we live, we move, and we have our very being. Clement in 170 AD, Clement of Alexandria wrote, for this he came down, for this he assumed human nature, for this he willingly endured the sufferings of man, that being reduced to the measure of our weakness, he might raise us to the measure of his power. Christ is the cause of our well being and our being. And he has now himself appeared to mankind. Isn't that marvelous? So, the answer to all of our deprivations is this Christ in me. He comes to heal those childhood wounds. We receive His indwelling life that He offers. And then we learn to keep practicing His presence. We learn when we feel lonely. We learn when we feel anxious and afraid. You are with me. You are within me. And it's a process of, you know, of healing. It's a process that continues to ground us in His love. I know my process has taken place over years. So in response to the prayer of faith, the Holy Spirit enters into the deep heart and mind, even into our body, to restore us and to create in us a sense of being. Um, Often as part of this, though, you know, one of the things we may need to do is name and grieve our childhood pain, really feel it, that sometimes loss has been stored up within us and we need to Bring that up and out to the Lord and to others in grief. He receives our grief. He receives it. And um, my experience is that over the years and just pursuing the Lord, He keeps deepening my sense of being and well-being. So I'd like to pray this prayer now for being and well-being. Lord, thank you, Holy Spirit. We invite you right into the places of wounding, pain or need abandonment or neglect even things that as I've been talking people have been identifying in their own heart thank you Lord thank you for showing us where we need to forgive on a new level our moms our dads our grandparents our caretakers maybe older siblings um, step parents for their lack toward us sometimes they were simply unable but Lord, thank you for showing us because Lord, you know our pain, our rejection, our abandonment, our anxiety, and you give us such hope because you are rejected on our behalf. Thank you, Lord, thank you for that. You know where we've known great deprivation and emptiness, where we've had such confusion in our being sometimes, Lord, So we stop now and we acknowledge that pain. We acknowledge the emptiness and the loneliness. We acknowledge the neglect from absent or critical or distant parents. We acknowledge the enmeshment from either parent Lord, they were too clingy or they were controlling or were they abused or manipulated. We name that and we speak out to you. Our forgiveness of their sin toward us. Lord, as we release them, release us from the pain and the effects of this. Thank you. Thank you for the power of the cross. Thank you. And now Lord, we confess to you any substitutes we have used to get that inner loneliness, the inner emptiness, filled. Any forms of sex, any addictions, food, alcohol, drugs, television, relationships and codependencies or something so strange that we're afraid to even admit it. But Lord, we come to you and we name it now. Anything we've used as a substitute, as temporary relief, we lay these out and we turn from them. Lord, we repent and we turn from them. We don't want to drink from those cisterns. We want to drink from the well of life. Lord, thank you. We don't have to drink from poison cisterns anymore. Where we have reacted to others, Lord, and judge them, forgive. Even as we forgive, forgive us. Lord, bind away from us the, the, the dire effects of our sin and of their sin and any traumas we may have suffered in our childhood, Lord, from accidents or disease or any other thing or evil, any sins against us where we suffered trauma, difficult circumstances, Lord, we lift to you and we invite you to heal the deepest places of adversity in our heart, deepest places of loss or trauma. Anything that has diminished or minimized us as persons, lord heal and fill us complete us untie us where we have been bound to the crippling effects of mother of false guilt of false responsibility of demanded gratitude lord untie and unbind us in the name of jesus set us into our own adulthood lord release us from any sense of needing to contain our mother's uh, disease, our mother's needs, our mother's pain, our mother's emotions. Release us from that. They are hers and not ours, Lord. Cut the inappropriate bonds, I pray. Thank you, Lord. Now, if you felt like um, you've identified with this, that you haven't had an adequate sense of being, I wanna invite you as I pray this next prayer, just to lay your hand over your heart, the center of your being, as I pray this and receive. Receive from the Lord. Lord, you are the very ground and the very source of of our being. Draw us in right now into the solidness of who you are. Come, Holy Spirit, come and set into each one a solid sense of their own being united with you Awaken in each one a capacity to connect, uh, to bond fully now with you and to bond fully with others. Give a solid and deep center to live from. Come, Lord, and make what was insubstantial solid. Come and fill the holes and fill the cracks. Lord, let your oil flow. And just see that, just see him making in you a solid and complete place. Engage your holy imagination as he is at work doing this. As we call on the name of Jesus, come Spirit of the Lord. We know that in you we live and we move and we have our very being. So fill the center of us with your being. Thank you as you create that solid place within us. And in the days ahead, Lord, as we practice your presence, as we remember and acknowledge you are with us and within us, you just make more and more solid that place within us, our very being, so that it's good to be who we are and it's good to be alive. Now, maybe you felt like you do have a sense of being, but you haven't had a sense of well-being. Just place your hand on your heart and I'm gonna pray for this. Jesus comes and he walks into the lonely prison house of your suffering where you've felt so alone and so isolated in that cell of confinement. And he takes your hand and he says, Come, I'll walk you out of your confinement. I'll walk you out of your loneliness. I'll walk you out of the pain of disconnection. Holy Spirit, descend even now with your healing presence and bring a sense of well being. Lord, where these have felt such shame or such disconnection and abandonment by God and the shame of that, you say to them, no, you belong to me. You're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. I bless you. I lift you up into life. I delight in you. You're the very joy of my heart and I will never leave you. I could never forsake you. The center of all that you are is in me. I am your being and I am your well-being, Lord. Plant each one like a tree by the living waters that they might bring their fruit in season, Lord. Breathe life into us, cause us to thrive, and let our true being be so deeply rooted in you that we don't have fear of drought, that we are secure, that we know you as our righteousness and as our solid ground. And we thank you for this healing and for doing this within us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much for coming today and listening to Sense of Being. Again, on my website, there are notes, www.barbarabyers.com. And I hope you'll join us for the next video.